Good morning. Today we celebrate our freedom as a country from another country, England, uh, from governing an authority over us. When we were declared independent, we became the ones in total control of our destiny and the decisions that would determine our future as a nation. Or we became sovereign, as people love to say nowadays. But individually, individually, there may be many who are still living under the bondage of guilt and shame from things they did years ago. There may be some who feel guilty because of things they did just this past week. Or you might feel guilty about things that your family has done, and you feel responsible for that. Well, that's what I want to talk about today. Are you really free when it comes to your life with God? And can you truly say that I live a life that is pleasing to God? And some people think that there are so many rules that it's impossible to follow them all, and therefore it's impossible to please God. So they don't even try. But the passage I want to deal with today in Micah chapter 6 deals specifically with that. So I want to ask you a question. How many of you have a life verse? Let me see your hand. If you have a life verse. It's a good thing to have. It's a verse in the Bible that, that is your anchor through the tough times. Through any trial you may face. You can look back to this verse and, and it will keep your faith in God strong. Um, Maybe it's a verse that you read at an important time in your life. Or maybe you have a lot of different verses for different situations that may come up in your life. Well, today I want to talk about my life verse. And the story of how it became my life verse is pretty remarkable. Um, but I'll save that for later. Okay. Um, what do you do when you've been caught in sin? You've done the deed and... Now you're at the point in the process of having to deal with your mistake and its consequences. And you know we all sin. We all have weaknesses and areas in our life where we're still working on it. And every single one of us has moments throughout the week where we go, well, I did it again. Now what? And believe it or not, every single person who speaks from this platform has issues that they're dealing with in their life that are not perfect. Myself, and even Pastor Lee included. We all have to deal with it. But the real issue is how you deal with it between yourself and with God. So, you know, we all mess up. And speaking of people who mess up a lot, you know, I always wondered why God chose Israel. Why, why did he choose the Israelites? They're just a hard-headed, hard-hearted group of people who seemed like whenever they had a chance to rebel against God, they did it. And in this passage in Micah that we're going to look at today, God's caught them red-handed again. And he makes his charge against them. Like It's like a courtroom scene out of Law and Order. We're going to start in Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. And this is God speaking. He says, Hear now what the Lord is saying. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. He's calling everyone to come listen. Listen, you mountains, to the indictment of the Lord. 
and you enduring foundations of the earth, because the Lord has a case against his people. Even with Israel, he will dispute. He's calling the nation. And I believe that this message can apply to our nation as well in the Bahamas. This, is, this can apply individually and as a nation. He says, My people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Answer me. You know, you know when you've done something wrong and the person who you wronged is confronting you and asking you why you did it? You know that feeling of, of guilt and helplessness and defensiveness? You know, someone, as soon as someone asks you why you did something, you have to start thinking and, the, and the, all of a sudden people, people get defensive. Well, that's what God is doing here. He's, he's letting the people know that they've done something wrong and he's looking for answers. And you know how, like, when you catch a group of kids doing something wrong, like one, one of them decides he's going to be the spokesperson for the group, whether he's good at it or not. Well, that's what, that's what Micah chooses to do. And being the prophet of God that he is, he decides he's going to answer God. But even when he tries to answer, he only comes back with questions. And we see him use five rhetorical questions in order to find some way of answering God and satisfying him. What's a rhetorical question? It's a question where the answer is basically implied. Or it's a statement made in the form of a question so that there's no answer is really necessary. You don't have to answer the question. So let's see what he says in verse 6. Micah 6, verse 6. Micah says, With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings and yearling calves? Now, here we see the first... Two rhetorical questions that Micah responds with. And each of them reveal a lot about Micah and the natural disposition of mankind. In his first question, Micah recognizes two things. The first is that he's done something wrong. And he needs to come to God in order to deal with it. The second thing is that God is on high. Or the most supreme being in the universe. Micah shows his reverence by bowing before God and then trying to figure out what he needs to do. He knows it's a good thing to seek the pleasure and acceptance of God. So the question now becomes, how do I respond when I sin? Do we recognize the seriousness of our sin? Or do we just brush it off and justify it and make excuses for ourselves? which is so easy to do in our feel-good society. We're told to avoid thinking about things that make us feel bad. We're not responsible for the bad things we do. Society is responsible. So we ignore the problems we have, and then we don't even realize that the problem is growing into something out of control. And when it comes to sin, the Bible says that if we don't deal with it properly, our consciences can become seared. So that we don't even know the difference between right and wrong anymore. If we do right, if we do wrong, we feel nothing. So Micah makes it clear that sin must be dealt with and God is the person who we must answer to. But the answers 
are implied in the questions that Micah asks. The answer to the first question is nothing. What can I come to God with? I can come, with, I can come to Him with nothing. And the answer to the second question is no. Should I come with burnt offerings? No, the answer is no. But these questions also reveal something that is true about man in his natural state. Man likes to think, what act, what physical act can I perform that will get me in good standing with God again? What one time, once and for all, deed can I perform that will show God just how much I'm sorry but still get him off my back and leave me alone again so that I can go back to doing what I was doing. And Micah, Micah makes the suggestion of burnt offerings. Well, this slide. No, we'll get to it. He makes a suggestion of burnt offerings. The law required them to be made. God required the Israelites to make sacrifices for their sins. And so Micah suggests this. And why not? You know, they're a good thing in the eyes of God. Right? Otherwise, why would he ask for them in the law? But again, just by the way he words the question, it's almost like he knows that it's not going to be good enough and that this will not please God. So Micah goes on in verse 7. Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? So now we see Micah, he's upping the ante a little bit, step by step. He says, okay, calves aren't good enough. Uh, how about thousands of rams or 10,000 rivers of oil? And where does he get this idea? He gets this from Solomon. In Second Chronicles chapter 1, we see Solomon who, while he was seeking God, he offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar in the temple, which seemed to please God. It seemed to prompt God to, to tell Solomon, hey, whatever you want, just ask for it and I'll give it to you. And so Solomon asked for wisdom. But for reasons he will re reveal later, Micah also knows that this is not good enough to please God. But then he ratchets up the offering even more. He says, I'll give you my firstborn child. If that's what it'll take to please you, I'll give you my firstborn child for the sin of my soul. Which incidentally proves that, proves the worth of a single human being over thousands of animals to God. And we all know the story of Abraham and Isaac. But Micah, he makes a suggestion of offering his firstborn child. He says, if this is what it takes to please God, here you go, God. I'll give them to you. So we see the desperation of the human condition when it comes to pleasing God, when we know we've done something wrong. The more desperate we are, the more we're willing to give up. 
And we're quick to make a deal with God. And people make all kinds of deals. What kind of deals do people make when they want to get out of something or there's something they want from God? You know, you hear people say all the time, well, yeah, I, I was out partying last night and I get bus right up, so, so I need to go to church this week and I need to make it up to God, you know? We all hear that. Or you hear people say, oh, I can give God one morning a week for, for protection. Or, or some give God three days a week and they come in a nice suit, right? All right, look. Or maybe, maybe you know, some people give 20% of their offering, 20% of their income as their offering to try to settle an account with God. Or you hear about people who don't go to church, who just, all they do is they give money to charitable organizations. And they say, well, God sees the good I'm doing, so I'm, I'm square with him. I don't really have to deal with him. Men ask God for things. In the oddest places, we ask God to let our team win the Super Bowl or the World Series, and, and then we'll do something in return. Right? Or if God allows our business deal to go through, we'll give half the profits to the church. Or women. What do women do? Women tell God that, you know, they, they go to church and prayer meeting so they can find a good husband. Or, or God will take care of their, or so that God will take care of their children. Now I hear, I hear women barter with God in relationships. That's what I hear. So, um, so people are always trying to make deals. Um, remember Kobe Bryant last year? Kobe Bryant, a girl in Colorado accused him of rape. And initially he denied everything. He said he didn't do nothing with her. But eventually he confessed to adultery. And everyone was wondering, well, what does his wife think? How does his wife feel? How, she's gonna re- how is she going to react to this? But then a few days later, she's seen walking around town with a brand new $4 million, eight-carat, purple diamond ring. Where did that come from? Of course, it came from Kobe. <laughs> Can you picture what it was like when he gave her that ring? Or, or what his intentions were? Ego, baby. I've given you this because I love you. That's the only reason I'm giving you this ring is because out of the goodness of my heart. Do you really think that that's why he gave her that ring? No, he's trying to give an extreme gift to help him get back on our good side. He's, He's trying to almost buy forgiveness. You know, he's not saying, I love you. I just, wa- I just wonder if she forgave him because he gave her the ring or if she forgave him because she trusted him to never do that again. But, you know, we look at that and we laugh and we say we can see right through it. But then we turn around and do the exact same thing with God. We try to make these once and for all deals 
and expect God not to see right through it. But do any of these desperate bargaining attempts actually please God? Obviously, Micah makes it clear that these physical performances are not what God seeks from us. So what does God seek? In Psalm 51, David said, Lord, just tell me what you want me to bring and I'll bring it. And that's how we feel sometimes. Well, Micah answers his first question with another question in verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do good, sorry, but to do justice, to love kindness or mercy in other translations, and to walk humbly with your God? And that's a question. But for the purpose of teaching, it sounds a little awkward to give an answer in the form of a question. I don't care how many times I watch Jeopardy, I still don't, I don't learn as well when people give me answers in the form of questions. So, so let's reword it into a clear sentence. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And the Lord only requires you to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. A simple three-step program to pleasing God. Is it really that simple? Can it really be that simple to please God? Step one. Do justice. What does this mean? Does this mean that we're all to become crime fighters? Um, you know, there are a lot of superhero movies coming out now. And, uh, you know, I've got my suit. I'm ready to go. We're going to go fight crime. I was going to try to get Drew to dress up in this, but it's a little, it's a little small. <laughs> But we all wish we had these superpowers where we could go around fighting crime and fighting injustice. And all these superhero movies coming out today, they just, you know, we wish we had these powers so that we can stop all the evil in the world. But that's not what this phrase means. This phrase is talking about whatever you have control over or whatever you take initiative in, be fair in your responsibilities and in your authority. Don't swing people. Business persons, be fair with your customers and your partners. Parents, don't play favorites with your children, mom. We all know I'm the favorite, but it's got to stop. Police officers, lawyers, and judges, make sure the punishment fits the crime and there actually is a crime. And don't take bribes. Teachers, be fair with your students. Students, be faithful with what your teachers and parents are investing into you and trying to teach you. Be faithful with the gifts that God has given you and use them in the proper manner to help others. This is all about faithfulness. Being responsible for what you have and what you have control over. Which leads us to step two. Love mercy. The word kindness can also be translated as mercy. 
And this almost seems to contradict the previous statement of doing justice. You know, if I'm to be fair in everything I do, doesn't that mean that I should give people the punishment they deserve? Especially when they do me wrong? Micah is making an exception and a clarification to his previous statement. Doing justice has to do with what you have control over. But loving mercy has to do with what you don't have control over. And that's other people. Despite all the imperfections of others and how much they annoy you, you still love them and you show them mercy. The fact of life is that people are going to hurt you. Be prepared for it. But when they seek forgiveness, you show them mercy. The word love here in the Hebrew means to have affection for. You know when you have affection for something? You feel good about it? When someone wrongs you and you have a chance to show them mercy, that should make you feel good. Now, being hurt should make you feel good, but the chance to show mercy should make you feel good. You should have an affection for it. We should be happy to show people mercy. But why? Because we know that God has shown us mercy. And we show the love of God to others when we show them mercy. But you will never be able to show mercy to others until you recognize that you didn't deserve mercy from God. And you become grateful for the mercy that you have received. That's such a key. You've got to get it. And once you are able to appreciate the mercy you've been shown by God, you'll be ready for step three. Walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly with your God. This is the most important part of the passage, and it's my favorite part. Um, The word walk tells us what we should do. The word humbly tells us how we should do it. And with your God tells us who we should do it for. And the why, we already know the why. This is the requirements to please God. We must walk day by day, slowly, slowly, taking our time in the marathon of life. We must develop a relationship with God and not rush and skip steps while we do that. The whole idea of this word is that this is long-term. This is lifelong. This is not a one-and-done kind of deal. You don't have one experience with God, and then you're done. When you're dating, how many of you have ever been on a date? Yep. Do you go for long sprints on the beach? No. Maybe you practice relay races with your date on the beach. You got the CAC games going on. No, you walk. You walk side by side, enjoying the time that you're spending together, talking with each other, getting to know each other. So in this word walk, there's an implication of intimacy. And it shows that God wants to get to know us and for us to get to know Him and reveal ourselves to each other. This is what building a relationship is all about. And you can only do that by taking your time. 
So many of us need to find a way to simplify and slow down and spend time with God every day. We can't skip over it. Because then we're not walking with Him. We must walk humbly. It's a humble walk. Recognizing that God is Lord and is in control of the entire universe and yet He loves you. That should humble you. And this is how Micah 6.8 became my life verse. Now I'm going to tell you a story. And it's very supernatural. But it's true. This actually happened to me. I'm not making it up. So don't treat me like I'm weird afterwards, okay? <laughs> um, about three years ago, right after I finished my year at the Word of Life Bible Institute, I came back home. And Pastor Lee had, he had mentioned to me about working with the youth and I was interested because I just finished eight weeks of camp with teenagers. And so I was ready to go. But a couple months go by and, and it didn't seem like it was working out and, and I had a job at, at another place to make money. But it really wasn't what I wanted to do. And so I was, I was getting frustrated with a lot of things going on in my life. You know, I'm getting older, still single. Uh, <laughs> so, and I was just wondering where my life was going. But I was still reading my Bible and still trusting God that he, that he had a plan for me. But I was still starting to wonder why it was taking so long and if I was truly pleasing God with what I was doing. And so one night, I had a dream. Mm-hmm. And God spoke to me. In this dream. Mm-hmm. And I can see it all on all your faces. You want to put me on TBN. And, uh... But it, it wasn't a, I saw Jesus and, and we talked and he told me what I should do with my life. And we sat down and we had breakfast and all this stuff. It wasn't any kind of dream like that. This was the dream. I was dreaming. No. It's pitch black. And... The words Micah 6, 8, Micah 6, verse 8, are like right in front of my face. And it's pounding me on my head like this. Just like the words are there this big, and they're pounding me on my head. And, I'm, and it was only like five or ten seconds. And I wake up at like two or three in the morning, and I was just like, that's random, you know, that's weird. I said, let me, let, me, let me just look at this verse just to make sure it's not some, you know, some random so-and-so begat so-and-so. And, you know, so I could just brush it off and say, okay, that, that, was, that was just me freaking out or whatever. And um, so, I look at, so I look it up and I see this verse and it says, He's shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And it was like this huge light went on. But the, the really supernatural part about this dream is that I had never read this verse before in my life. I had no idea what this verse was. I, I can honestly say that I had never read this verse. I had no idea. I had never heard the verse. I had never heard anyone speak on it. And so for this 
to come to me in a dream. It was just way too um, coincidental. Like, I couldn't trick myself into coming up with this verse because I had no idea what it was. So for, for a specific reference like that to come to me, I'm just convinced that it's God. And God was speaking to me and telling me to calm down. <laughs> I had been worrying so much about my present situation. And God showed me this verse and reminded me that I needed to stop worrying and just keep walking with him and that he was still in control of everything and that he was going to take care of everything. And it simplified, it simplified my whole view of what a relationship with God was supposed to be. It wasn't just following all these rules. It was walking with him, building a relationship with him. But in regards to worry, <clears throat> listen to this quote from Oswald Chambers. Worrying always results in sin. We tend to think that a little anxiety and worry are simply an indication of how wise we really are. Yet, it is actually a much better indication of just how wicked we are. Fretting arises from our determination to have our own way. Our Lord never worried and was never anxious because His purpose was never to accomplish His own plans, but to fulfill God's plans. Fretting is wickedness for a child of God. I find that to be an amazing statement. But back to the word humbly. This word humbly also implies that we understand that we are not perfect. And so we look to God for mercy. And God understands that we are not perfect. And He's ready to give us mercy. And all of this brings us to a complete surrender and submission of our wills to the will of God. Complete surrender. That's what it means to be humble to God. But so many times we so badly want to hold on and do things the way we think is best. But according to this, that doesn't please God. And we know that. We need to let go. We can't figure life out and we don't have to. We don't know the future. All we have to do is follow these requirements in this verse and we'll please God. And also notice that God's standard is the only standard that we are required to live by. Not our friends, not a church culture, not what a society says you should do. Only God. That is who we should be living for. That is who we should submit our will and our life to. So ask yourself, are you fair? Do you love to show mercy? Have you humbled yourself and committed yourself to a lifelong walk with God? Or maybe just on Sunday or when you're around your Christian friends. All of the sacrifices and the religious acts mean nothing to God without a determination of a lifelong commitment to Him in our hearts. Once we've sinned, God is looking for repentance. He's looking for us to change our mind and walk with Him. God says, I don't want any deals. He says, I'm not making any deals with you. I just want you. That's how special we are to Him. So, 
Quit trying to make up for your mistakes. God doesn't want you to make up for your mistakes. Jesus already did that. Jesus paid the price. We are already forgiven if we're a believer. And we've confessed our sin. For those of you who aren't believers, this is your chance to get right with God. And walk with Him. So don't try to pay God back. Just live for Him and with Him every day with your whole heart submitted to doing His will. Selah.